Good morning. Downside up. Part seven, happy or the pure. Jesus loves this word purity, being pure. And we're going to talk about what that means this morning as a follower of Jesus. So if you have the Bible with you, turn to Matthew, the fifth chapter, verse eight. Great, great section. As you turn there with me, you know, different translations say it a little different, but pretty much the same that blessed are the pure in heart for they will, they shall see God. I don't know about you, but that's what, that's what I long for more than anything. Just to see the face of my God, the face of the God of Jacob, the face of my Savior. I just long to be in the presence of God. Do I have a witness here this morning? I mean, man, that's what I want to see. You're saying, but I want to see this. I want to see that. No, I, I want to see God. We'll talk about seeing today. Here it is. It's part seven, but it's the sixth beatitude because the first week we kind of did an introduction if you want to go back and catch up. But from the Bible's point of view, uh, we, we have a hard time really understanding heart and what it means. When you say, a lot of times we go, bless their, their heart. Anybody say that besides me? I mean, we just learned that coming up. Everybody's bless their heart. And basically it's like, you know, well, man, bless that dummy. Or, or, no, or bless their heart. They did something kind of dumb. But unfortunately, we have pitted our hearts against our mind. See, the heart is the, in, in, in essence, is the very center of our being. We think of our heart, uh, we, we think of like, okay, here it is. This is my only football story I use today. Yesterday, I was at Auburn, and the Tigers played two sets of Tigers. And we refer to the Auburn Tigers, and I think Bob would affirm this, that the other set of tigers are known as the cardiac tigers. And it was a you know, very crazy, wild finish, okay? But this, this whole thing is the heart. When we think about the heart, we think about the muscle. We think about that organ. But Jesus says, no, 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 you, you don't get it. It's the very essence. It's the centrality of who you are. And it's the center of your being. It connects heart, emotions, and mind. And so you, you just got to kind of get around that about that. It's, it's, it connects our head knowledge with our emotions and who we are. Uh, so it does have an emotional component to it. And we need to develop our hearts. All through Scripture, the, the, I don't know how many times, but the word heart is used over and over. And God's trying to say, this is what I want to change. I want to give you new hearts. I want to transform your heart. So as we look at that, we think about, God, how do I, how do, I do that? Well, you can't. But he can. And, and listen to this. It says in, in one translation from the King James, he talks about out of our bowels of tender mercies. Now, when you think of bowels, you're not thinking your heart. You know what I'm saying? You're thinking, well, you know, that's kind of gross, Pastor. But, you know, I mean, when was the last time your bowels were merciful and tender? <laughs> don't, don't, don't tell me when. I don't want to know. But, but he's talking about this heart, this being. This emotion, this spirit, man, that, that's changed and, and they're pure and, and they're going after God. And, and then God says, and I'll give you my word and I'm going to write it on the tablet. Then your heart becomes a tablet. I'm going to write it on your tablet so you can etch it in your, in your soul, in your spirit, that you can really follow me and, and you can be pure in your action. You can be pure in your vocabulary and you can be pure in your heart. And does anybody here struggle with being pure in your vocabulary? <laughs> Don't raise your hand. I got to tell you, I I struggle with sin just like you. I'm a fellow struggler in Jesus. 
I praise God, though. There was some miraculous Damascus Road experience in my salvation experience. And one of those was my vocabulary was transformed by the Spirit of the living Christ on the night I met Christ. Literally, if you would have heard me speak, unless I was in the presence of a lady, you, you'd have said, he's not candidate for our pastor. I didn't speak very nice. And then God transformed my vocabulary. He, he gave me a new heart. He gave me new words. I'm like, God, that's how I knew he was real to me. But I want you to look at the very top here. The definition of purity. Unmixed, uncompromised, unsullied. Just, just circle it. I mean, that's what it means to have purity. And, and that Greek word there is kathar, katharos. Katharos. We get the word catharsis. Do, do you know what the word Catharsis means. As you look at here, I want you to see what it means. The process of releasing, providing relief from a strong, repressed emotion. You're damaged. You're hurting. You're broken. And God gives you a cathartic moment. Has anybody had a cathartic moment? If you've ever dealt with death, you had to have a cathartic moment to get through that process of healing. Yesterday, I was talking to a friend at the ball game, and, uh, and the guy was telling me, he's, he's teaching the book of Acts in his Sunday school class, and he says, and one of the things we're going to do is, he's, I've decided when I finish the book of Acts, I'm going to talk to people about dying. He's a physician. <laughs> and I went, well, okay then. And, uh, and, uh, and as he talked about it, he says, but I want to try to teach people about, uh, living with dignity and dying with dignity and how to honor Christ in that. And I thought, well, hey, that, that's pretty good. I said, I'd like to come to your class, but I got this thing going on on Sunday morning. He just started laughing. But here it is. So catharsis. God wants to, this unmixed sincerity, unmixed in our hearts, that happy is the person. Blessed is the person that's pure in heart. We all know. I mean, if we're honest, we, we get gunk in our hearts. And the heart, it, it, it reflects who we really are. There's an overflow of the heart. You know when you come out and you say ugly things, it's a reflection of what's going on. And how many of you said this? I didn't mean to say that. But you felt it. And, and you know, and you're like, that's exactly what I was thinking. It's just, oops, I said it out loud. I didn't mean to say that. You've done that in marriage relationships. You've done that with your kids. You've done that with uh, your friends. Well, your children, I, I don't know, and God's like, I, I want to change. I want to give them pure hearts. Fill it in here. The pure in heart are those who are single-minded in their devotion to God. Therefore, they are morally, inwardly pure. God wants us to be pure in heart. Guys, I'm just screaming about this because I need to be reminded of this about how, and, and, and today is a great day to talk about pure in heart because we're going to celebrate communion. And Jesus says, don't come perfect. You're flawless. You're sinful. But come with a new heart. Come with clean hands and a pure heart this morning. Come to my table. So this morning, Jesus is going to invite every one of us to his table. If we'll just say, God, I repent. I want to receive you, your mercy. Give me clean hands and a pure heart. God, God is so into purity and holiness. He is so far removed if we have anything less. So God, begin to do that in our hearts this morning. This, this, uh, I, I did it for the worship team this morning. We celebrated communion before the service, we do that with them because they, they come out here and worship and serve you. And I had to go back to 2001. Chris Tomlin, oh God of Jacob, you know, give me a pure heart. Let me be a generation that seeks you, God. And we, we just worshiped and we sang it together. And I'm thinking, man, that's God. That's what you've always been about is the heart. 
You want redeemed hearts. You want transformed hearts. I think that's why we come. Because we want the hope of a transformed heart. And our friends are praying, I pray you get a transformed heart. Has anybody ever said to you, man, I hope you get a changed heart? Because your heart is sick. And I'm not talking about you went to a cardiologist and you need heart surgery, and you might, but I'm talking about but spiritually, man, that heart is new. You're, you're waiting for the Messiah. You're waiting for Jesus to come, to be single-minded in your devotion. Listen to what Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great German theologian, he's, he's the cost of discipleship. He's so much, uh, he's not fun to read. He just hammers you. But listen to this quote. Who is pure of heart? Only those who have surrendered their hearts completely to Jesus, that he may reign in them alone. Only those whose hearts are undefiled by their own evil and by their own virtues, too. Those are the people that are pure in heart. So this morning, I think the Lord's just saying, hey, I care about your heart. It's the real you. So this morning, I just want us to think about it for a moment before we run on. God, I'm going to be transparent today with you. My heart has some... Uh, some resentments. I'm harboring bitterness. I'm angry. I'm, I'm soiled. I'm, I'm, I'm messed up. So God, come. Come today and, and visit this place and make it a holy habitation of your presence. Lord, cleanse us. Cleanse our character. Lord, when, when nobody's watching, God, let my heart be pleasing to you. I don't want to just be pleasing when I go to the table and everybody go, oh, look at that person. They went to the table to get clean. And that's important. But Lord, help me to be pure. Uh, the word cardia, we get our word cardiac. And you go to the cardiac ward of the hospital. Those people are very sick. I've spent a lot of time around that. My dad died of progressive heart disease some 20-something years ago. So I got introduced to that. And being a pastor, I've been in so many intensive care and CCU units. And as a pastor, uh, Aaron, we probably are your worst nightmare, but a lot of times they give us a, they give us a God card. They let us go in, and of course, we don't want to ever abuse that, and we go in because they believe in the power of prayer so many doctors and physicians do, and I believe my God heals. How about you, church? And I believe that people get prayer, prayed over, they get healthier, and, and they believe that. So we go in, and, and it's, it's, it's intimidating to walk into rooms, and people are having cardiac procedures, and they're sick, and there's all these tubes. I, I never will forget, it's just several months ago, our own elder uh, that was picked on. I guess this is pick on Tim Womble Day, but with dead man. We love that man. Tim was back here. He's up there. Tim's everywhere. He's omnipresent, but Tim's an elder. And he, several months ago, he called me. He says, man, my, my brother just had a massive heart attack. They just put him in a helicopter, and they've flown him to the hospital. He's at Jackson's. And why? Wow, he had open heart surgery, and by the time I got there and got to go in with Tim, and I got to see him, and I'll go over to his brother and and I've been around this a lot, so it's not like you know, my first rodeo, but I'm looking, and, man, there's about, there's about 35 tubes. I mean, it's in parts of his body. I didn't know you could put a tube there. And there they, I mean, there's all these machines and beeping, and everything's going on. And he's conscious, and I'm looking at it. It's Tim's brother, and, I'm, man, I'm there for Tim, and I'm there for his brother, and I'm concerned. And, and, and we just start talking a little bit, and then this happens. I, I couldn't believe this. He wanted to know who was going to cut his grass. I wasn't worried about his grass. You know what I'm saying? Like, let it grow, let it grow. But I'm sure it was already nice. But that was his concern. He just wanted to get well so he could go cut the grass. And Tim just said, yeah, that's kind of like it. That's who he is, you know. And I just kind of laughed and went, wow. I don't think I'm going to be. And I've been to other hospital beds where people are getting ready to have heart surgery. And they're doing business deals. I went to see this guy one time. And he's working a deal. And they're fixing to cut his chest open. I'm going, what are you thinking? 
You know, he's like, I'm just at peace. I said, okay, then make another deal. Okay, all right, here you go. Listen to this. This heart things. 105 times in 98 verses in the New Testament, we, we hear about the center of our being, our emotions. The, the Old Testament, the word heart, many times it has an interchangeable word. So I want, you to, I want you to write the word heart, and I want you to draw a little arrow over to it, and I want you to connect the word mind. The heart and mind link. When Jesus talks about our hearts this morning, he's talking about our heart and our mind. He's talking about that being, who we are. God, I need a new heart. I need a new mind. My, my friends do. You know, 1 Samuel 16, 7, you know, the, you know the reference, but it says man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. I'm so glad God looks at the heart. How about you? And, and yet, as humans, we're so quick to judge whoever by their outward extremities, whatever they do, how they act. And Jesus says, I'm looking at your heart. And it might be this morning he's going, I want to touch your heart. I want to change your heart. I want to give you a new heart. I want to do something. There Samuel's considering Eliab and David, the older brother, is the one who should anoint him as a king. And he goes, look not on his countenance or on his height of his stature, but because I've refused him. For the Lord sees, not as man sees. But the Lord looks at the heart. I know this morning you're going, man, you're, you're kind of nailing that heart thing. Because I need a new one. I need a heart of flesh and spirit. It says Ezekiel, God says, I'll put a, a new spirit and a new heart within you. And this morning, I just think the Lord wants to do that. You remember when Matthew 6, 21 says, where, where your treasure is, there will be your heart. This woman we read about on the screen, that's where, that was her treasure. But there was her heart. And Jesus just records it so we can read about it. So the heart is the center of our being. I think I've hammered that. I think, look at the next blanket. It says, I can't be pure without grace. Folks, you just, you can't do it. I mean, you can be nice, and I've met some nice people that didn't know Christ. I mean, they were just nice. I mean, I know some people that aren't Christians, they're nicer than Christians. Do I have anybody who wants to say, uh-huh, and don't look at anybody, okay? Don't tap them. But I, I meet some nice non-Christians, and I meet some mean non-Christians. And I got to tell you, I meet some mean Christians sometimes. You ever met a mean Christian? I'm like, man, they need, they need, they need a heart surgery they, they, they need to touch so i just looked at it uh john three thirty six. whoever believes in the son is eternal life but whoever rejects the son will not see life for god's wrath remains on that person the whole thing there's the story of john 3 nicodemus and nick he, jesus is talking to him and he says nick dude that's alabama slang you got to be born again nick you need New life, new heart, religion's not doing it for you. You need, you need newness. You need me. And Nick does. And I love that section. You can just read it this afternoon if you want to just go back through the truth of John 3 and say, Lord, happy are the pure in heart, for they'll see God. Uh, and, and that means when we know God, that our hearts are covered by the blood. Our hearts are forgiven. We're at peace with God. And I pray that we work it out with one another. We're at peace with each other. Just that peace, vertical and relationally. Their hearts, our hearts get contaminated by so much stuff. Every day, you and I are bombarded by the devil and by schemes and by the choosing of our own evil desires, says James, and our hearts just get to be a mess. It's like, okay, here it is, the swimming pool. Blake had this cool, y'all had basketball, see if you could drown somebody the other night out here. And, uh, and, and in that pool, it, it got a little nasty, didn't it, guys? And Blake was out there, man, he was skimming it, and he was trying to get it all clean because he wanted it so right for y'all. But I, 
I don't know. I didn't look in there this morning, but I don't know if I said, would anybody get in there? There'd be a guy going, yeah, I'll get in there. I don't care. I mean, I mean, you know, you're talking to a guy that got in a cattle trough in Venezuela in the jungle. I should have died of some kind of disease, okay? We were in the bush. It was hot. It was gross. We, we had shared the gospel in this village. We were coming down to this thing, and there's a cattle trough, and I'm thousands of miles from home, and it is gross looking, and it has cool water. And they go, do you want to get in? And I didn't call Donna because I didn't have a phone, and I didn't call anybody. I said yes, and we jumped in that trough, man, and got refreshed. Now, we probably all should have died of some kind of disease. You know what I'm saying? But, but it was kind of nasty. You, you understand about being compromised, being sold, being uh, sold, being m- mixed with things of this world. And Jesus says, man, get, get a clean heart. Don't uh, Look at the next one. I think it's important. We need relational honesty. In Matthew 22, 37 through 39, Scripture goes, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart. There it is, your being, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And then, and the second is, love your neighbor as yourself. It's our whole mission statement. Love God. Love God. Let's do it all together. Love. Let's do it again. Love God. Love others. You're going, y'all sure there's that a lot around here. Y'all kind of special? We're trying to get this in our spirit. I mean, this is what we want to be as a church. And the church said, you're saying, well, as long as I just say it in here, that's okay. No, no, no. We want to get outside the walls of church. Another sermon. Okay. Here it is, this whole relational thing. Uh, if we don't get this relational thing right, it shows. Like, Okay, here's the best illustration. My friend David Harris, I, I love this. He shared this. He says, uh, you, you, you ever had a pair of jeans too tight? Uh, don't raise somebody's hand next to you, okay? And uh, I just want to ask a question. Did those jeans hide or expose they like dessert? Just, I'm just thinking, okay? Because when things are too tight, they tend to what? They tend to expose that. And, and for us, we, we get exposed. Our hearts get exposed. We get bumped. We get hit. And what's on the inside, who we are, that gets exposed to the world. Our character, it gets exposed in crisis. And our, uh, our character, or our hearts get exposed in leisure. It doesn't matter. Either one, man, our hearts, are, they're, they're, just, they're out there. And people know. We can say, well, I got all this God thing down. Vertically, I can talk about God. And God's like, but I want to change your heart. I want to relationally do something else. But you know what it just shows me one thing? We need a Savior. In Jeremiah 17.9, I've shared this verse, but it's always one we need to come back to. It's kind of foundational. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? The Lord can. The Lord understands my shortcomings. He understands your shortcomings. And we are so deceptive, we deceive ourselves. We'll deceive others, but we don't pull one over on God. So this morning, it might be God's just searching our hearts and saying, you know what, I want to I do something this morning in the hearts of some people that have gathered. I, I want to give them a, a new start. I want to uh, push away evil in their life. I want to push them toward the cross. You know, in the, in the first century Jewish community, they were so aware of unclean things. I mean, they had so many rules and legal regulations. And touch a dead body, you're unclean. Touch a dead animal, you're unclean. Don't have kosher food, you're unclean. Don't do this, you're unclean. 
And Jesus came and really kind of trumped all that and said, look, I, I want to talk to you about this. You're unclean. And, and I want to give you a new heart. So I, I, I thought of some thoughts here. Positional purity. When, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we get placed into Christ positionally, and we're accepted in the beloved, and we are considered righteous as children of God, and God accepts us with the blood and the atonement of Christ, and we can stand faultless and, and blameless before him because of what Christ has done. Does that thrill anybody this morning? Positional purity. In your own, you're, man, you're filthy rags. I'm a filthy rag. My righteousness is a joke. But Christ is sufficient. Actual purity. God makes a deposit of the Spirit in the life of believers. Scripture says he marks, seals, and fills us with the Spirit. It's a daily thing. So actual purity should take place in the life of the church, in the life of Jesus, living out through uh, Christians. And so God asks you to do that. Practical purity. We just live in um, an obedient manner before God. God, I will obey you, even if it costs me. And I got to tell you, our world, man, they're just like, what's convenient? Yeah, let me tell you what I really believe. I believe the church has bought into this. I think there's so much casual Christianity all across America. And I think we've bought into a consumerism Christianity, and it has nothing to do with the cross of Jesus. Jesus just said, if you're going to be my disciple, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me daily. And the church said, and the church said, I got to let y'all know that, folks. There's some cheap gospel out there, and I don't think it's biblical. Biblical gospel always has repentance, that you turn from your sin, and you look to a holy God, and you follow him. And I just, I just want you to go, why are you so emphatic about that? Because that's, that's the gospel. It's good news, man. People get reclaimed. They get born again. They get new. They get transformed hearts. They get this real deal. The other kind is just some religion at best. And, man, I, I just, I'm just not a religion fan, okay? So Matthew 5, 8, God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. Look here with me in the middle of the page. Three blessings brought by integrity. If you have this kind of heart for Jesus, integrity is a byproduct, and integrity is who you are when nobody's watching. So you're blameless. Uh, David, I love it, man. David, man, David's a sinner. We did a whole series on David. He's messed up. And yet God says, he's a man that repented. He's a man after my heart. He's a man that loves me. In the early days, they would talk about wearing the mask. I hear this all the time. I'd come to Christ if it wasn't for all you hypocrites out there. <laughs> all you hypocrites. And I go, hey, man, come on, join us. We got a bunch of them. You'll just be one more, okay? Hypocrite is just wearing the mask. I tell you what, if I'm not careful, yeah, I got a pastor badge. But I got to tell you what, man, I can be a hypocrite. I can, I can throw on my God mask so quick and everything. Ah, hello, brother, sister. How thou now goeth? May I send you on your way. You're saying, you don't really talk about it, do you? No. But I can fake it. You can fake it. Jesus is like, man, I, I don't want you to fake it. I want you to be real. I want you to have a new heart. I want you to have a reputation for me. Look at the blessings brought right in the first one. Personal confidence. When others around you are watching, they, they see Christ in you, and it's attractive. They're drawn to you. Proverbs 10, 9, people with integrity have a firm footing, but those who follow crooked paths, they will slip and fall. God put us on the path of the straight and narrow. Well, we don't want to slip. We don't want to fall. We want to honor you. Proverbs eleven three 3 from the message. The integrity of the honest keeps them on track. 
When you're a person of integrity, you're purposing to stay on track with God and to walk in His ways. And man, that just honors God. And I'm telling you, I, I wish our political scene would see more of this. And I wish our world would see it and our church would see it. And the second one is lasting legacy. Our generation, are we a God that seeks God? Are we a generation that seeks after God like Jacob did? Are we a generation that's cashed God in for just something that's religious at best and attempt? Proverbs 27, a righteous person lives on the basis of his integrity. And blessed are his children after he is gone. I, I'll be honest with you. What I want more than anything is I want my children, and they walk with God. And I want my grandchildren to walk with God. And I want my great-grandchildren. I want my great-great. As long as Jesus tarries, I want generation after generation to walk after God because their Mimi and their Pop followed God. Amen? Now, church, let me tell you this. You're going, you're just doing that God talk. You know, I knew you were going to do that. Guys, I am the first believer in my family that broke the curse, the tree. Hallelujah. Jesus is awesome. Now, Don and I have been blessed because we've got to see people come to Christ, and we saw our kids come to Christ early, and our grandkids, we believe they're going to come to Christ early because of your teaching and you working with them and other kids. How many believe we need to raise up a generation that loves Christ? So Don, you're sitting there this morning going, oh, man, I'm like the first Christian within 50 miles of my family. Then you'd be a light for Christ. Have integrity. You're saying, but it's hard. I know it's hard. Oh, believe me, I could tell you stories on that. So look at the third one. Rewards in eternity. When we have integrity, it says this in Matthew 25, 21. God will say, well done, you're a good and trusted servant. Because you're faithful with small things, I'll now put you in charge of much greater things. Come and share in your master's happiness. How many of you want to share in the happiness of Jesus? <laughs> Boy, I do. I just want to be in his presence at his feet, casting crowns, worshiping him, giving my best offering of praise in this life and the life to come. And I go, Lord, that's what you have for us, to walk in integrity that uh, I want to go after you. So I want to speak truth from the heart. So how do you develop integrity? These are just things you can write. I left you a little room today. Number one, keep your promise. Have verbal integrity. This is huge for me, church. My dad taught this to me before he came to Christ. Let your word be your bond, your yes be yes, and your no be no. How many of you want to practice verbal integrity? I do. It's critical, you're like, I, I want to practice it till it hurts, and then I want to shade it. You know, wouldn't it be cool? Lawyers wouldn't like this, but wouldn't it be cool we didn't even have to have contracts, we just shook people's hands, and that was enough? Don and I bought our second house on a handshake. Did we not, Donna? On a handshake. I said, man. He said, you love Jesus. I said, I do. He said, I love Jesus. I said, that's awesome. He says, you shake my hand. That'll be enough. When you get the money, we'll close. I called Donna. I said, Donna, we just bought a house on a handshake. Is that, is that awesome? And we paid him every penny, and he praised God, and we praised God. And today, Ain't nobody going to do that. Banks ain't going to do that. People ain't going to do that. But you know what? We can have integrity, and it matters to Jesus Christ. People who promise things they never give are like clouds and wind that bring no rain. Proverbs 25, 14. Write it down. Proverbs 25, 14. Here's another way to have integrity. All right, listen. This is going to hurt. Somebody's going to get mad at me. That's okay. Pay your bills. Pay your bills. 
how you use your money, it's a test. Pay your bills. Don't default on your loans. And the church of Jesus Christ said, guys, it's critical. I talk to business people all the time, and they go, if the people would just pay me what they owed me, things would be good. And a lot of times they do business with a lot of Christians, and Christians aren't known for having a lot of verbal integrity. So I say, God, help us to do that. And I know you want to go, but I'm going to defraud the government. The government's crooked and wicked. I, I know the government's got messed up, but you know what? Render unto Caesar's what is Caesar and give unto God what is God's. Pay your taxes. And, and here, here's another one that's important. i got to work this one in there. Faithfully tithe. Faithfully give to the Lord. Return your gifts, your offerings, your tithes in the storehouse of God. God blesses that. And he, it shows him the Lord, Malachi, just write down, Malachi 3, 8 through 10. God, I won't rob you. I'll honor you. And we, we've said this verse hundreds and hundreds of times in 20 years around here. I'm just telling you, I believe that God's word works every time. And when you honor God's word, he blesses obedience to Christ. Amen? You're saying, oh, there he is. He said, if you did this, God's going to give you Cadillac. He probably is. He's probably going to give you a Vega. I don't know. You don't even know what a Vega is. I just dated myself so bad. It was the crappiest, oh, excuse me, it was one of the worst cars that Chevrolet built with an aluminum block. Had a friend one time say, I got a new Vega. And I thought, you need a new car. It, it looked kind of cool back in the 70s. Have you, have you seen a Vega lately? All right, I was just saying, you know what, they just didn't last, okay? Here, here's another one, integrity. Write it down. Do your best at work. I'll give you a verse. Colossians 3, 23. It just honors Jesus when we do our best work. Be real with others. Okay. Here's what I want to do. I could preach on and on. I want to, I just want to, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I want to share this story with you I read. In 1982, the L.A. Times carried the story of Anna Mae Pinnaca, a 62-year-old woman who had been blind from birth. At 47, she married a man she met in Braille class. <laughs> I bet that was exciting. And for the first, 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 for the first 15 years of their marriage, he did the scene for both of them until he completely lost his vision with retinitis pigmatosa. I probably didn't say that right, but I'm not a doctor, okay? Did, did I do okay with that? <laughs> My doctor back there said, fake it. Okay, here you go. Miss Pinnaca had never seen the green of spring or the blue of a winter sky, yet because she had grown up in a loving, supportive family, she never felt resentful about her handicap, and she always exuded a remarkably cheerful spirit. Don and I know a woman just like this. And then in October 1981, Dr. Thomas Pettit of the Jules Stein Eye Institute of UCLA performed a surgery to remove the rare congenital cataracts from the lens of her left eye. And Miss Pinnaca saw for the first time ever. The newspaper account doesn't record her initial response, but it does tell us that she found that everything was so much bigger and brighter than she'd ever imagined. When she immediately recognized her husband and others she had known well, other acquaintances were fall or taller or shorter, heavier or skinnier than she had pictured them. Pause there. I don't want people to know what I look like. Okay, here we go. Since that day, Miss Pinnaca had hardly been able to wake up in the a.m. Or she couldn't hardly wait to wake up, splash water in her eyes, put on her glasses, and enjoy the a.m. light. Her vision is almost 20-30, good enough to pass a driver's test. Think how wonderful it must have been for this lady to look for the first time at the faces that she'd only felt. And she'd never seen them. And now she could see them through a kaleidoscope of color. The gift of physical sight is wonderful. The miracle of seeing for the first time can hardly be described. Yet there is seeing that surpasses even this. We shall behold him as he is. 
we shall see him face to face. That's what I spend my life doing, trying to help people see spiritually. That you see the scales fall off your eyes. You see your sin for what it is. You see your God for how holy and lofty and exalted he is. And you see him. You know what? You can win championships with your team. You could build houses. You could have cars. You could have careers. You could have 10 kids if you want 10 kids. You could have whatever. You could have everything this world has to offer, and you get it all. But if you don't awake and see the face of Jesus Christ, then, man, you have missed it. I want you to see Jesus. And I've never seen him physically, but I long for the day when I shall see him face to face. But I see with my spirit. Because those eyes got clean, the heart got new. And it, maybe you're all saying, well, that's me, man. I have perception. I have discernment. I can see. And we're able to see God, that his spirit's moving. We're able to see that God's unfolding things in our lives. We're able to see because God lives in us. We're just able to see. I, I just want you to write that down. Think, I just want to see. Man, I'm just praying today, Jesus, just let us have eyes to see. Eyes to see the kingdom. The kingdom is all around us. And we're a part of an eternal kingdom in Jesus Christ. What do you see with your eyes? And that blood of Christ just makes it right, and we can run to him and trust him and have a pure heart. And then this morning, I, I want uh, my six prayers. Will you, will, you, will you put the first one up? Well, okay, a little different than I thought. Well, gee, just stole all my thunder. I thought it was supposed to come out one at a time. Okay, let's start this. I want to share, y'all come out and call my worship team. I want you to see this. I want you to write down these six words, or actually it's 12 words, right? There's six lines. I want you to write these down. I want everybody to write these down. If you don't even take notes, I want you to take the pen of the person next to you and write this down, okay? Not now, when they get through. I want you to leave this up, guys, this morning. This is the prayer that I have for us for communion today. These are the prayers that I pray. If we would start to pray these a few times a week, Christ would change us. Number one, search me. That's a great word for communion, that God wants to search us, that we hold our lives up to the light of Christ, and we go, God, search me. See if there be any sinful way within me, and remove. I repent. Take the dirt. Take the compromise. Take the sin. Search me, God. The second one. Now, this is hard. I was praying this this week. Break me. We used to sing a song around here about break me. I noticed it didn't live very long, okay? Break me. God, break me and make me the man. Make me the woman. Make me the teenager. Make me the child you want me to be. God, search me, but break my heart, God, for the things that break your heart. Break me, God, of my pride. God, break me. Search me. Break me. Here it is. Now, it's getting tough. Stretch me. God, get me out of my comfort zone. We've got comfort zones in this room, and God wants to stretch us spiritually. He wants to expand our borders. God, search me. Break me. Stretch me. I like the fourth one. Mold me. Mold me into the image of Jesus. Make me like Christ. You can, go, you can go ahead and start playing if you want to. Mold me. The fifth one, lead me. Lead me in the path of righteousness. We've been talking about righteousness in this study. Lord, lead me in the path of everlasting life. Lead me in the path that honors you. Lead me in the path that brings blessing to me. And then the last one is so critical, guys. Use me. Use my life, God, for your glory. Use me, Lord, to honor you. 
Use my life. The Bible says you have been bought with a price. You're not your own. I remember when I gave my heart to Jesus Christ, I I began to start understanding I wasn't Keith anymore. I wasn't Keith to be the center of my life that Jesus had purchased me by his blood. And I belong to him as a redeemed child of God. If you're in Christ this morning, you are no longer your own. You are no longer an alien. You have been brought near through the precious blood of Christ. Amen? Come on, church. Amen? That's good news. So here's what we're doing today. I know my friend came last week, and he got confused. And I told him, I said, dude, you preached 62 minutes. He was awesome. He did a great job. I listened to this week. I did a long prayer walk. I mean, it was a long prayer walk because I thought, man, I don't think the brother's going to finish. And it was great. I called him this week. I said, dude, you've got content. You're great. I said, you're long, though. you got to shorten it. I said, I want you to come back. <laughs> I can't believe I just told you that. That's okay because I love him. Just being honest. This morning, I'm preaching like the shortest message. We're fixing to get out of here. You're going, hallelujah. No, no, no. If you miss the next few minutes, I've messed up. There's two tables. Will you two couples get up? Donnie, will you and Kendall go? Eric, will you and Julie go? Two tables. Here's what we're doing. Now, I, know, I know you're not going to believe this. It is 11.03. That is not happening at Christ Community. 11.03. I should have never told you that, but I did. Don't turn around. So you're going to beat all the Baptists to lunch, so don't worry about that. We got that covered, okay? <laughs> we have got it covered. We are going to lunch first. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to sit in your chair. I want you to throw those six prayers back up there. And I want you to just pray a minute. And as the Spirit of God leads, I want you to walk to a station and receive Holy Communion. And then I want you to come back to your chair not saying anything. And I want you to pick up your stuff, and I want you to walk quietly out those doors and leave. We're going to have communion. Just come as the Spirit leads. The body of Christ broken for us, the blood of Christ shed for us. We're going to ask you to come up. Julie's going to hold the bread here and you're going to take a piece of the bread and you're going to dip it into the cup and you're going to put your hand under it and you're going to receive the Holy Sacrament and you go to that altar and pray or you can go to your chair and kneel or you can walk out. But the service is almost over. But I encourage you to look at these six prayers and pray whatever you need to pray and go to the table. Lord God, I thank you for this amazing fellowship called Christ Community. But I thank you more for the blood of Jesus that brings us into your presence. Cleanse us from sin. Make us new, Jesus. Amen.